big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Now, here's Jack Riccardi. Hi, Jack. Yeah, here he is. Good afternoon. Checking in. Uh, hey, here's a question. We were just talking about this off the air. Um, do you, do you uh, like, mow your own grass and cut your own grass and stuff? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what is the earliest you can start doing that in the morning that's... That's like, you know, okay with the neighbors and stuff like that. What's the earliest you can get started? Or probably the better question is, how early is it for the neighbors to mow their lawn without annoying me? It's probably another Oh, true. It. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. I feel nine's probably the, uh, I think before nine, you might be a little little crazy. Really? Okay. So nine, nine or after, you're safe. Yeah. I mean, it's in work hours. Why not? Because I was just telling Don, I like to get started around 8, 830. Oh. And uh, he was saying, isn't that a little early? And I said, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know what? I always figure, I always hear other people uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, I hear a lawnmower going. So I think, well, somebody's doing it. I mean, if it was I can do it. six or seven in the morning, I would oh, definitely no, have a problem. No. Eight that's, o'clock, yeah, I'm like, eh, I should be up anyway. You know, I should probably yeah. get ready. And... So, so you would say nine. I would say eight. I think Don said eight. Um, we'll, we'll try to figure that out. If that's the, if that's the hardest question we have to work on today. Uh, we're going to be in really good shape. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. Uh, I saw today that the Lavernia ISD is going to allow teachers to carry guns as a way of defending against school shootings. This is a uh, program called the Texas Guardian Program uh, where a school board can adopt this set of procedures, okay? And once they get into this program, teachers can volunteer. They can qualify. They can get trained and qualify, and if they're trained and they qualify and they want to and they the school district school district is okay with it, then you can have armed teachers and Lavernia is going to have some armed teachers. And I remember we talked about this a while back. Remember this was a big deal a while back when we were, you know, in the thick of how do we defend against school shootings and. Uh, how, you know, I think we lost the thread of that conversation with COVID because we had distance learning. And we really haven't talked about school safety or school shootings since then. Schools, of course, are back open again. So here we are now with a school district saying we're going to arm the teachers. And back when we had this debate, back when this was a new idea, I recall we had a lot of callers, we had a lot of different opinions, and I recall the objection, the the, the opposition to arming teachers was that this is not what teachers are trained to do. This is not what they are temperamentally trained to do. This is not what they are educated in. Uh, they're not suited for it. This is dragging them into an area that, that is not their area. You know, it, it's dangerous. They could make a mistake. They could uh, mishandle the gun. They could lose the gun. They could drop it on the ground. People said, we, we can't have this. And I wonder now if that argument looks a little different. Because now, the way I'm looking at it, we have teachers teaching and counseling 
children as young as kindergarten on their sexual identity, on their gender fluidity. We have teachers that are working inside the brains and the souls of little ones who are biological boys but think they might be girls or vice versa. They're talking about their own sexual journey to their students. And they're encouraging their students to be curious, to experiment, to explore their sexuality. Don't take it for granted just because mom sent you to school in pants and a shirt that you're a boy. And don't tell your parents that we're having this discussion. Don't tell your parents about this this unit. Don't don't share this at home. Don't if you've changed your pronouns at school, don't t- you don't have to tell your parents. It'll be our secret. Are you going to tell me that we can't train teachers to protect the classroom from a shooter? But teachers are qualified to have this discussion or this caliber of discussion with their kids? Are you going to tell me that somehow teachers are trained, are um, skilled in counseling a young person about the rest of their life in terms of who their partners will be and how they'll relate to sex? Seems to me that argument that, oh, teachers aren't qualified to be armed, looks a little ridiculous given what we are arguing teachers are allowed to or should be allowed to do now. I want to get your thoughts on that. 210-599-5555. Um, the Democrats are falling apart over this abortion issue. Uh, the Senate Democrats pushed to uh, put abortion up for a vote and lost the vote, 49-51. to 51. It was like a final exam they didn't study for. Here's the thing. They have had 50 years to put into law what they argue, what they claim, you should have the right to do, you should be able to do. They've had 50 years... They've had supermajorities. They've had Democratic presidents. They've had the votes to do it. They often promised to do it. They fundraised the hell out of it. And they didn't do it. Then they came under the most unpopular Democratic president of the last 70 years with no majority, a split Senate, 50-50, That's when they decided, now we're going to have the vote on full legal abortion. Do you realize how you are being played? Do you realize how absolutely insincere they are about this? They told you this is the most important issue. And then they threw together the most half-assed legislative effort I've ever seen. This is not important other than as a tool, as a lever for their own power. The bill to codify Roe was brought before a 50-50 Senate 
where one of the Democrats had already said he was a no, Joe Manchin. So usually at that point, you, you don't go forward with the vote because you know you're going to lose the vote. They went ahead with the vote. And after they lost, 49 to 51, the smartest woman in the Senate, Harvard professor Elizabeth Warren, said this, I believe in democracy, and I don't believe the minority should have the ability to block things that the majority wants to do. That's not in the Constitution. We need to get rid of the filibuster, she said. I believe in democracy. The minority should not have the ability to block the things the majority wants to do. Liz, the vote was 49 to 51. You were in the minority. <laughs> you, that What you're saying is not what happened. The majority did get its way. 51 senators said no. I believe in democracy. They don't even know what it means. By the way, there is no minority in the Senate. It's a 50-50 Senate. You know, they call Schumer the majority leader, and they call McConnell the minority leader, and the only reason for that is because technically, if there is a 50-50 tie, Vice President Harris can break it. But really, McConnell could say, hey, I'm the, I'm the majority leader too. I've got just as many uh, members of my party as he's got of his. There's no minority in the Senate. It's a tie. They must think women are idiots. I'm sorry, I'm not saying I think they are. They must think women are idiots. They had 50 years and they picked the worst moment, the weakest moment, to throw this thing up against the wall. Now they're going to go out on the campaign trail this summer and fall and tell you they're fighting for you. They're fighting for you. They're fighting for your daughters. But when your daughters are getting, uh, you know, pummeled in the swim meet by biological boys, they're not fighting for them. When your daughter's uh, sports programs are losing funding, they're not fighting for them. Wake up. Look, I'm not telling you who to vote for, but wake up to these people. you got to be kidding me. Josh Chaffetz is a law professor at Georgetown. At one time, Georgetown Law was one of the most prestigious schools in the country. He was talking the other day on uh, Twitter about the protests at the homes of the Supreme Court justices. Those protests are still going on. They are illegal, but no one is enforcing the law. This law professor explained that these protests are okay. Because, he said, the mob is right. Mob action is permissible when the mob is right. That's what he said on Twitter. The protest at the Supreme Court, not at the justices' houses, would be more persuasive if the court hadn't this week erected fencing to prevent protesters from coming anywhere near it. He said, and before you uh, come at me with, oh, so you support January 6th, LMAO, laughing my ass off, the difference is substantive. When the mob is right, more aggressive tactics are justified. 
Doesn't every mob believe that it's right? Doesn't every mob believe in itself? That's what makes it a mob. When they were lynching black men, the mob believed it was right. When they were burning black families out of their homes, the mob believed it was right. When they were setting crosses on fire in the South, the mob believed it was right. Every mob believes it's right. There's no such thing as a mob plagued by self-doubt. There's no such thing as a mob that says, oh, we're really not sure. Should we go forward? Do you want to go this way? Do you want to go over there? What do you think? If there's one thing that characterizes every mob action, it is the, the, the absolute certainty that they are right. And what we have right now, as I've been saying all week on the left, is a sense of absolute rage in which anything can be rationalized. Anything can be right. And this is dangerous because you say, well, Jack, they haven't done anything yet. There's still things they haven't done. I'm here to tell you, I don't think there is anything they could not justify. On this issue alone, I think they could find a way to justify, to explain setting a fire, assassinating a public figure. Under his logic, because they believe they're right, Mob action is right. The law is moot. And this is a law professor. You know, I don't need all law professors to agree with me or to agree with each other, but I kind of like it when they agree with the law. I think, that's, I think that's a good thing, right? I think they should at least pay lip service to what we think they are teaching. So I say you can start mowing your grass, you can fire up your mower at 8 o'clock in the morning or after, and uh, Dennis says you should probably wait till nine or after. Um, what do you think? What's the, what's the earliest you can start yard work? And I'm talking about yard work with like power, you know, like a clipper, a blower, a lawnmower, you know, stuff that makes noise. Obviously, if you're if you're sweeping, you can sweep anytime. Raking, you can rake anytime. So, what's the earliest you can use like power lawn stuff and do it in your neighborhood? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Um, I've always thought it was eight. Still do. Kind of curious to see what other people will say. Um, notice that Lavernia ISD is going to do the Texas Guardian program where uh, select and trained, qualified teachers can carry guns on campuses in the Lavernia ISD. That's our question on the JR poll today. Do you agree or disagree with doing that? I am, a, I am in favor of those kinds of programs. I think I, I wouldn't hand out guns to every teacher at the front door. That's crazy. But I do think you can have people on your campus, and it really doesn't need to be a lot of them. It just needs to be a few people that are very comfortable with it, willing to do it, glad to do it, uh, so that there is a good guy with a gun or gal um, when the worst things happen, if they ever happen. There's no reason for everyone in a building like that to be helpless. So I'm in favor of it. But I started thinking back to when we first debated this, how there were a lot of people, and I, and I respect it. I, I mean, these were not all anti-Second Amendment people. They just say, hey, you know, I'm really not sure about teachers with guns. That's, that seems way out of their league, way out of their lane. And I was thinking today, with everything we now know teachers are doing, not all of them, but many of them, 
Is it really that out of their lane? Because the argument was, well, a teacher might mishandle a gun and somebody could get hurt. Let me tell you something. If you mishandle a child's psychology, a child's sexuality, if you mishandle the um, at a very tender age a boy or girl's sense of themselves, you're bringing up mental health, you're bringing up potential suicide, depression. So it's pretty serious. I don't hear anybody saying, oh my God, these teachers are not qualified. Seems to me we've crossed the line. If we're letting them have the gender fluidity curriculum, then give the qualified, trained teachers the guns. Does this debate look different to you now? Now that we know what we know or have heard what we've heard? 210-599-5555. And then the the Democrats on abortion um, have basically uh, stepped on a rake because here they are hoping this is the issue that will get them out of trouble in the midterms. But I think it's important, rather than just argue about abortion, I think it's very important to point out that the supposed defenders of it were asleep at the switch. The supposed champions of women picked the worst moment, the weakest moment, the moment they knew they would lose to have their vote. It's worth asking the question, why didn't you do this when you had the votes, when you knew it would pass, when it wasn't even close? Because there have been many times since 1973 when Democrats had that kind of a majority. In fact, right after 1973, the midterm election after Watergate, the Democrats had a super majority. So as early as 1975, which is a lifetime ago, they had the votes to do this. Joe Biden was in Democratic Senates where there were more than enough votes. They might not have had his vote because back then Joe Biden was pro-life. But Democrats scrambled and threw together a half-assed vote that they knew was going down. And then Liz Warren, the smartest woman in the Senate, complained that she was tired of the minority blocking things. It was a 51 to 49 vote. What what didn't work there? You're the minority, Liz. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Charles is on the radio. Charles, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mr. Jack. Hey, I got a question for you. I agree with Armin teachers, but what about Armin janitors? They have yeah, um, we're having a little trouble with your connection, Charlie, but I think you said arm the janitors. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. What about arming some janitors? Because they, yeah. they're not worried about the kids. Yeah. They can react quicker than any teacher can. Right. And they so know the building better and they, and they move around. Yeah, there's a, there's a, I forget where it was. There was a school district somewhere in the Midwest that did that. 
And that was their argument, the same argument you made, that it was they were more free agents and they were more able to roam the building. And, and the argument was that a potential school shooter who might know which teachers were armed would never know where the janitors were at any particular moment because they float around. Yeah, no, that's a... I, I think the Guardian program allows for, for faculty. It's not just teachers. So I think that's a good idea, Charles. Thank you. I appreciate the call. So um, I want to talk about the uh, arming the teachers debate. Uh, Lavernia ISD is going to do it. Um, and uh, one of the arguments against arming teachers suddenly looks a little different in light of recent headlines. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the um, the uh, way in which uh, Democrats have signaled what abortion really means to them, what this issue really means to their party. Um, and then we're going to, speaking of which, um, I wanted to bring our constitutional law expert back on the show, Bill Pyatt, professor of law at St. Mary's University School of Law, uh, to talk about a few of the things that are in the news this afternoon. He joins us right now before we go back to your calls on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. I was just reading, uh, Professor, this quote from a law professor at Georgetown. I don't know if you know him or not. His name is Josh Chaffetz. And he was defending the uh, protests against the homes of Supreme Court justices uh, because he said uh, mob action is permissible when the mob is right. This is a law yeah, professor. I, I, yes, I saw the quote. I do know the professor. And with all due respect, I think he's just absolutely wrong. I think, as you pointed out, every mob thinks it's right. So by his definition, every mob action would be justified. But regardless of how people feel on the issue of abortion, there should be some bottom line respect for a process, for the rule of law. The federal statute that so far the United States Attorney General is refusing to enforce prohibits people from trying to influence a judge or a juror by threats, intimidation, etc., Attorneys in the courtroom try to influence the judge and jury. That's part of the process. That's part of the structure. But nobody would think, I, don't, I hope that professor would agree with me, that if there was a trial going on and the jurors were at home during the evening, that it would be absolutely wrong for people to go and pressure those jurors, especially if their children are present, etc., in order to have them reach a different result than they would if they just considered the evidence and the instructions of the judge. So it's a dangerous path where we say if the mob thinks it's right, it can do whatever because, as you point out, every mob thinks it's right. By definition, that's why they're a mob. Yeah. We're, uh, we're in a different time, though. The, the baseline, the, the norms you're referring to that I think we both would like to see restored, um, they predate this era of you know, doxing people and outing people. The the justice correspondent for the nation said the other day that you don't communicate to Trump supporters, you beat them. You don't negotiate with them, you destroy them. So this is a, I mean, it isn't just one law professor at one school. This is a popular notion that if an issue is important, we go to war over it. That's that's really yes. the thinking, right? And if it's war, Professor, I think you would agree. If it's war, it's not then it's not legislative debate or it's not a trial in a courtroom. It's it's war, right? That's right. It's it's absolute mob 
it's anarchy. And the reason we have these processes is to protect against that. For there, there should be some quiet deliberation, some rational thinking. Juries aren't always going to get to the right result. Judges are not always going to get to the right result. But there's an appeal process. If the Supreme Court gets a wrong result, they can start another case that eventually will be overturned by the Supreme Court. And in the meantime, people won't get killed in the streets. Children won't be intimidated. And people won't have to fear that if they are trying to participate in a system, that they're going to be subject to all of these horrible threats. And God forbid, one of these, if the mob is right to stand outside, well, maybe then they, the mob would think it's right to pound on the doors, to break windows. Maybe if that's not effective, what else do they think they can do? All that is outlawed, and the attorney general needs to step up and prosecute some folks. So you might have just answered my next question. What is the specific mechanism? I mean, who has to enforce this law that you quoted for us the other day from the U.S. Code, and and what would be the enforcement agency? I mean, how does this go down? It would be the United States Department of Justice. They would have to bring a criminal action. They would have to initiate the process using the ordinary indictment or, or arrest provisions. They'd have to take people into custody. They'd charge them. Those people would be presumed innocent. They would have attorneys. There would be a process. The jurors that would hear the case would make the decision without mobs at their door. Mm -hmm. If it was held that they violated the law, the judge would take into account the seriousness of their offense, whether or not there needs to be an example, and impose a sentence. And hopefully the next time around, next time there's a Supreme Court case being decided, people will say, all right, well, if we don't like it, we will lobby our legislators. We will try to ultimately change the composition of the Supreme Court, et cetera, but we won't resort to the streets. The The ends don't justify the means. We've been talking a lot about the distortion of our republic right now, that the judiciary has become a branch of or a third chamber of the legislature, right? They're, 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 they're making decisions and rendering verdicts that it would be much healthier to arrive at through debate, discussion, hearings, public participation, none of which is possible, obviously, with the Supreme Court. Whose fault do you think it is? Is it, is it activism on the part of the judiciary, or is it cowardice on the part of the legislature? The things that should be legislated are instead being, uh, you know, basically decided by a small group of, of robed lawyers. Okay, I'm going to try not to give you a boring law professor answer, but the, consti <laughs> the Constitution has some language that's deliberately vague. Like it says, yeah. due process. We're entitled to equal protection. There's no real specific definition. In those circumstances, we rely on justices acting in good faith to interpret the laws. All right. At what point does the good faith interpretation extend to legislation from the bench? Okay, so that's, a, that's kind of a difficult line to draw. But I think we all understand that we have to have some people who are free from the immediate political influence, and that's what the framers did in setting up the, the Article Three judiciary. They can make a decision without this immediate protest and yelling and screaming and fear of being removed from their jobs, so that there will be some continuity and there will be some some ability to predict what the law is going to be and how, how the courts are going to move in the future. They're, they're not a political branch in that sense. Yeah. I, I want to ask you also today, uh, shifting gears a little bit here, uh, there was a uh, ruling by the uh, Ninth Circuit about a uh, California law that banned the sales of guns to under 21-year-old uh, customers. Uh, that yeah. was challenged, and by a two-to-one uh, verdict, uh, 
the judge or the the court rather has has blocked that California law um saying it was unconstitutional um this in turn has led uh people to disagree with the ruling to say the courts including the Supreme Court are quote unquote expanding gun rights do you think they expanded gun rights with this decision or did they simply recognize that the the second amendment doesn't have a cutoff you know age on it yeah i think uh the the second observation is accurate the second amendment just like the first amendment are written in pretty absolute terms the courts have said there are some restrictions that can be made you know that can be available and rational and even the california decision you just mentioned California statute banned all sa- uh, sale of semi-automatic center-fired weapons to adults under the age of 21, and that was ruled unconstitutional, saying you can't have that type of an age limit consistent with the Constitution with the Second Amendment. But the court did upheld that same court upheld a provision that requires those who are under 21 who want to have a uh, purchase a rifle or a shotgun, they have to have a hunting license. So Supreme, I mean the the court upheld that restriction didn't uphold the the under 21 age restriction it was a panel of the ninth circuit it'll probably go to the whole ninth circuit and then eventually to the supreme court but going back to your question about interpretation of the second amendment so in 2008 as everybody knows the supreme court said that the constitution the second amendment gives us the right to bear arms in our home Uh, the district of columbia versus heller dc had tried to outlaw people owning guns in their home Supreme Court said you have a right to own a gun in your home for self-defense. That didn't answer the question whether you can carry a gun in public. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case this term starting in October out of New York. New York has a statute that says if you want to carry a handgun outside of your house, you have to get a permit. You have to show Mm -hmm. proper cause. Mm -hmm. And just wanting to defend yourself, that's not proper cause. So we're going to hear the Supreme Court, in my, my opinion, they are probably going to say that the Second Amendment right extends to carrying the gun outside of the home. Is that an extension? No, it's an interpretation of the Second Amendment, which seems to be pretty broad. It says you have the right to bear arms, and it's not limited to inside the four corners of your home. I know this is an ongoing, I mean, it's been forever, uh, debate in in uh, legal circles about how deferential courts should be to legislatures where, um, you know, it's been said, I think, in the past by one or more Supreme Court justices, wherever it is possible to uphold a duly passed law, courts should. But in this case, as you point out, this is something that is explicit in the Constitution. It is not a gray area. It isn't something that falls between the lines of the Constitution. It's the Second Amendment. Right. It's like... The states can enforce age restrictions on any number of circumstances. Like states can say you have to be 21 to purchase alcohol. Well, if an 18-year-old says, I have a constitutional right to drink, the court's going to say there's nothing in the Constitution that gives you the right to drink alcohol. But if the 18-year-old says, I want to purchase a weapon, the 18-year-old can say, and there is a constitutional right to keep and bear arms that doesn't have an age restriction. And as an 18-year-old, I'm an adult. And so... There's a there's a deference. Right. You should defer to legislatures, but legislatures need to realize that the supreme law of the land is the Constitution of the United States. Professor Bill Pyatt, always appreciate the time and the explanations. Thank you tonight. 
Thank you. We're asking you on the JR poll, do you agree or disagree with arming teachers? Lavernia ISD is going to participate in this Guardian program where teachers raise their hand, uh, indicating they're comfortable with doing this. They get trained. They get qualified. And it doesn't mean that every teacher or even most of them would be armed, but this is a program that school districts around the country are looking at. And um, let's see where your stand is on that. David is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Long-time daily listener, huge fan. How are you? I'm very, that's nice of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm doing well today. Good. Yeah, so um, I don't know if foolish is the right word. I'm sure we can come up with many words. For a teacher to be out of their league, I mean, what if they grew up around guns? What if they took right. it up as a hobby and they feel comfortable? And there's only a few of them. So it's not like we have a bunch of teachers running around with guns, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we could all agree you wouldn't want to just hand them out at the door or, you know, assign a gun to every classroom. But like you said, if a teacher has a background with them, served in the military, uh, yeah. hobby, hunts, um, I, I think it, it only makes sense to kind of just in the way that schools take advantage of, of teachers, you know, outside lives in other ways. We, you know, if they're good at barbecuing, we put them to work at the, exactly. you know, at the PTA cookout or whatever. So, you know, I mean, I, I think it just makes sense. And then I like the idea of maybe even looking at the janitors or the support staff because they're floating around the building. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I guess. I guess I I don't think you can really make the argument anymore that they're they're not they'd be doing something they're not trained to do. If we're going to let them counsel kids on gender, uh, yeah, really. they're not trained to do that. Yeah, I mean, putting anybody in a label uh, when they're doing their profession is aside from their personal life. I love the Janet idea. Also, um, they can obviously um, come out of nowhere, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and just just the mowing the lawn thing, I'm gonna go at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, some. <laughs> Where do you live in Beverly Hills? I mean, come on. I know, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I 10 a.m. By 10 a.m., it's getting hot around here. I I don't want to wait till 10 a.m. That's true. That's true. I don't know. It's just you know. Do you, I, I like are you a, are you a late sleeper? Is that is that why? Do you kind of sleep in later? Well, I work in the markets, and currently I'm a nursing student, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> but it's a rant, you know. I'm sleeping all the time, but um, right. t- typically right. in the mornings, like it quiet online. That's why I'm working towards getting my acres, though. If you have land, yeah. you don't have to worry about yeah. it. Well, I, I do respect what you're saying, though, and of course, you never know. You could have a neighbor that works nights. You could have a neighbor that has, yeah. you know, odd hours. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, maybe the thing to do is, you know, know your neighbors and find out if any of them have those unique circumstances but if not i don't know i i think you can i think you can get started but good point you're so articulate i love it but oh well you're you're very kind and good luck with your studies david and and i hope you'll call again it was nice nice to talk to you today uh we're gonna get to more of these calls coming up 210-599-5555 yeah we we had thrown out the question earlier if you're just joining us you got a lot of stuff going on in this show we always do but we had thrown out the question earlier uh because i i cut my grass this morning because i I didn't want to do it this weekend it's going to be more even more hot this weekend, not that it was cool and breezy. This Well, it actually was kind of cool this morning. But anyway, I, I got to jump on the weekend chores by doing some grass cutting this morning. And uh, Don Cooper, our producer, said, well, when, when do you get started? And I said, about 8.30, quarter to 9. Um, and then we start talking about when it, you know, when's the earliest you can fire up a, a gas-powered mower or an electric mower or edger, weed whacker. 
Uh, so what would you what would you say or in your neighborhood? What's the earliest it's polite to get started with that stuff? Whether it's weekdays, weekends. So mentioned this uh, yesterday. There's a uh, a young woman who was on The Bachelor named Demi Burnett. I don't watch The Bachelor. I just read about this. At least I think I read about it in the Express News. So she was on The Bachelor. She's from Texas. She grew up around the Dallas area. And she has a podcast because, you know, once you're on a reality show, you, you have to have a po- It's the law. You have to have a podcast. So she has a podcast. And she was uh, complaining on her podcast the other day about how embarrassed she was to have a Texas education. She's really, really upset with Texas and the schools in Texas. It's a joke, she said in her podcast. And she said the reason she knows that her education is a joke is because she had to look up the word antebellum. She didn't know what it meant, antebellum. And if she hadn't grown up and gone to Texas schools, she's sure that she would have known what it meant. Not so sure about that. Antebellum is Latin. It means before the war. It usually refers to the Civil War, but that's literally what it means. It's just antebellum, before the war. But she's 27 years old, it says here in the story. So... Don't you, aren't you responsible for what you know and don't know when you're like 27 years old? Like, I'm, I'm even older than her. I'm quite a bit above 27. At this point in my life, if I don't know something, and there's a lot I don't know, that's on me, right? I, I, need to, I can look it up. I can read a book. I can broaden my horizons. I can ask somebody who knows. I don't think you can blame your education system or your K-12 through education when you're a grown-ass adult. Pardon my language. Get a dictionary. <laughs> right? I mean, so I, I, I'm not really sure. Antebellum is, I don't think, a word that if you went around and did a 50-state survey, uh, young people in the other 49 states would instantly know it. I, I doubt that's true. It seems a little perco- a little precious of her to uh, to say, "Oh well, this is because I grew up in Texas." Maybe she just has an issue with Texas. Maybe she's embarrassed for other reasons. I don't know. Maybe somebody made her feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad about being from Texas. I'm from Massachusetts. I don't feel bad. Seriously, I think it's very cool to be from Texas. I don't think you have anything to explain or apologize for at all. But I just it just it just bothered me that she would say, well, because I didn't know this word, somebody threw a word at me, I didn't know what it meant. I am going to blame my elementary school teachers. No, that's not how it works. Look it up, learn it. You hopefully, if you're 27 years old, you know a lot of things that you didn't learn in school, right? Hopefully, you've been learning all that time. You're not supposed to be done when you get your high school diploma. It's not how it works. Anyway, speaking of schools, what do you think about arming teachers? Uh, they're going to do it in Lavernia. you agree or disagree with programs like this Texas Guardian program, 210-599-5555? Liz is hanging on to talk about that right now on KTSA. Hi, Liz. Liz, are you there? Oh, I guess we lost Liz. Okay. Uh, 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Yeah, they, they, um, they have a program where you volunteer, you get training, 
you go through the training period and the qualification. And, of course, the, the school district has to sign on for this and be okay with this. And I guess Lavernia did. So typically, from what I've read, it's a handful of teachers on a campus. might even be just one or two. And that really is probably all you need in the event of something terrible happening. It just means that there will be at least one good guy, I don't mean that in the gender sense, who will be able to maybe deflect, defend, deter an attacker. I think it is a, I don't think it's the the only answer. I don't think it solves everything. I don't think it makes the school immune to a shooting, but it's, it's one more thing that we ought to avail ourselves of if there are willing teachers. And in most places in our country, there are going to be teachers willing to do that. I don't know if you've noticed, but in most school shootings that we've had tragically over the years all over the country, in most of these stories, there is a heroic man or woman, teacher, principal, janitor, what have you, who throws themselves in front of the kids, who shields a child with their body, who attempts to disarm an attacker, sometimes giving their life. So it tells me that that there are people in that profession who really want to protect their kids. And it also just common sense tells me that in every, you know, if you if you get, show me 100 people or 500 people, there's going to be a few of them that already own a gun, have experience with it, served in the military, hobby, hunting, what have you. So it just... It, it seems like a it seems like a reasonable thing to open yourself up to. And when we debated it initially, people said, "Oh, well, it's it could go wrong. There are so many ways it could go wrong." Well, I don't hear anybody saying that when teachers are counseling a little boy to become a little girl. There's a lot of ways that could go wrong. Teachers not qualified or trained to do that at all. We haven't we haven't held a vote on that. So I just think it's going to be hard to make the argument that, oh, they're not uh, qualified. To... That ship has sailed. Just with what we know. 210-599-5555. Talk about that. We can talk about antebellum. <laughs> we can talk about um, when you mow your grass in the morning. The uh, Biden administration has, um, this news came out last night, has canceled um, a major oil and gas lease uh, sale, which was pending before the Department of the Interior. Uh, It was a large uh, area, I guess, in Alaska. And they also stopped two leases in the Gulf of Mexico. And they gave as the reason a lack of interest by the industry. They said that the industry didn't want these leases, so they decided to call it off, uh, call off the transaction uh, at the Biden administration. Um, the American Petroleum Institution uh, Institute, rather, and others have spoken up today and said, "No, that's not true. We don't know what they're talking about." Um, but you know what I I think is unavoidable here, and and I don't know. You tell me what you think. It's hard not to think at this point, even if you voted for Joe Biden, it's pretty clear that they have decided to embrace 
high gas prices. So they'll occasionally say, we feel your pain, we're doing what we can. But the, the real the real approach here, clearly, and, and this is the first time in my lifetime I've seen an American president do this. I mean, we've had high gas prices before. We had energy crises under Nixon and Carter. But this is clearly an energy crisis, if you will, that they are embracing. Because they think this is how they're going to get you to do what you otherwise weren't going to do. You weren't going to, to, to consider an electric car at $1.80 a gallon. And now you are. And they're not being subtle about it. They're coming right out and saying, well, if you don't like these prices, hint, hint. So I, I would tend to believe that they're lying when they say there's no interest in developing these leases. I, I think there is. But here's what's going to have to happen. The, the voice of the people is going to have to be very loud, unmistakably loud in the midterms and in 2024. If they get the idea that you've given up on fossil fuel, you'll never see these, uh, you'll, you'll never see what we have in the ground extracted. You'll never see the prices we had before. You'll never see the availability we had before. You'll never see American energy independence. So they are doing something that's never been done, and it's a gamble politically. They're prolonging misery that they could very easily bring to an end because they think in the long run this will get them the re-engineered, reimagined society of windmills and solar panels. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Um, you know who uh, Sarah Silverman is, the comedian Sarah Silverman? Yeah. Uh, she was on The View. And they were prattling on about this, that, and the other thing. And somehow they got around to uh, her. She lives with her boyfriend. And they have a very interesting um, personal hygiene regimen at Sarah Silverman's house. She was asked about it by one of the View panelists. Take a listen to this. Um, before the pandemic, you were living alone. Um, and you had said that you weren't sure you would ever share your bed again. And since then, you started dating, and not only are you sharing your bed, you're sharing your toothbrush. Ew. Really? That's disgusting. <laughs> I, I told never, you I was befuddled by that. I have never shared a toothbrush with another person in my life, and for some reason with Rory, we have never not use the same toothbrush. Now, everyone's saying that's so gross. Let me ask you something. Oh. Yes. Oh, the dog! Is, is that who you're sharing with, the dog? No. <laughs> the no. man. No, the uh, man. Why is that so gross? We kiss each other where we... <laughs> I mean, I mean... Oh, my God. has a point. <laughs> Some people, not everyone does that either. <laughs> and tonight really we will have one toothbrush. <laughs> Yeah, but you're going in there in the gums and everything. It's disgusting. I mean, yeah, you're going in there with the gums. This is gross. Don't do it anymore. You do seem like a clean person. Mm. Um, boy, I sure wish I had time to watch The View every day. Um, so they're, they're so close. They are so on the same wavelength. I mean, you know, they are soulmates. This is the one. She's never had a man like this. She's never felt closer to anyone. They use the same toothbrush. 
I'm sorry. I know I'm a germaphobe, and, and so I should probably take myself out of this conversation completely. Like, I should just disqualify myself. I should, I should recuse myself because I'm a germaphobe, and I am, and I admit it. I, I'm, I'm that guy you see, like, in the men's room where I'm, like, opening the door with my elbows and I flush with my shoe and all. You know, it's just... But toothbrushes come in multi-packs, you know? You can buy them two, four... You can buy them 10 to a pack. Sarah Silverman is an A-list comedian. She probably makes pretty good dough. Why are you sharing a toothbrush? I mean, I get the other part about your mouths go together and your mouths go on each other's bodies, but just, you know, what do you drink from the same glass, too? When you have dinner, do you like it? Do you ask the waiter, just bring one plate? We're going to both eat off of it. Just bring one set of silverware. We're going to use the same fork. We don't- we don't need we don't need two forks, two knives. We're very close. We're very intimate. Are you thinking? Are you rethinking your own relationship now? Are you are you thinking? Wait a minute. Why am I not doing this? I can taste it. Why am I really? Why am I? Why am I using a separate toothbrush for my husband or my wife? I mean, is that a sign of is that a sign of trouble? Is our relationship doomed? Are we not as close as I thought we were? And she. She's proud of it. She's like, oh no, this is this is just goes to show how special our relationship is. We use the same toothbrush. The same toothbrush. Why is that so gross? We kiss each other where we No listen, I I find my own toothbrush gross. Right? I'm I'm changing it out every couple of weeks. I don't even want to think about you know, and it's me. And I mean I, I get that you're close, and I get the you're doing stuff with each other. I, I I understand that, and I don't I don't want you to think I'm I'm I live in a in a you know a monastery, but I mean it's it's a it's a cleaning tool, <laughs> okay? So when you're kissing another person, you're not cleaning them, right? That's not what kissing is. It's not it's not grooming, right? How is that a comparison? And again, toothbrushes come two, three, four, five in a pack. You can each have your own. Go for it. I mean, you're using your own forks, knives, glasses, coffee cups, right? You know, I think you can still be. I think you can still be close. I don't think the toothbrush thing is like, oh, this is really coming between us. I wish we. I'd feel closer to you if we didn't use two toothbrushes. I don't I don't think that's a thing. Maybe you need a little distance. You know, what's the old country music song? How can I miss you if you never go away? You know? I don't really even I'm gonna go here. I shouldn't even go here. I don't I, I, I once said to a realtor friend of mine, because I, I have a, a bathroom with, with twin vanities, and I was thinking about when I remodeled it just doing one you know, just having one sink. And he was like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. I said, really, why? Why Why do they need to be two sinks? Well, people like that. I said, well, you don't both need to be in there at exactly the same time. You know? I mean, why aren't there two toilets? I guess at Sarah Silverman's house there could be. I don't know. No, there'd be just one, right? They both sit on it at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't talk much about... Um, Ukraine and Russia and Putin and all that. I was thinking today, um, 
and I forget what got me on the the thought process of it, but um, I think it was some story that was in the news about Putin. There's all this speculation that he's having health problems or that there's internal issues in the in the Putin regime, and I don't know if those things are true or not, but. I was thinking today, if you step back for a minute and just put aside which team you're on and who you voted for and whether you like the president or not and all that stuff, if you just stop and think for a minute, um, we're, we're probably either at a really dangerous moment or a moment of incredible opportunity. And, and here's what I mean by that. Putin is saying some crazy things about nuclear weapons. I mean, in your lifetime, in my lifetime, this is the most believable nuclear saber-rattling I think we've heard. And I think today I was reading that Finland, the country of Finland, which is on the border with Russia, has dramatically shifted its in terms of its public opinion to where just a, a couple of years ago, the vast majority of Finns did not want to join NATO, did not want any engagement. And now eight, a, a survey says 80% of Finns want their country to join NATO. The president and prime minister both have come out and said, yeah, it's time to do this. And that means, by the way, that if you if you're talking about Putin feeling threatened by Ukraine joining NATO because Ukraine is on his border. Well, he's going to have he's going to have more NATO members on his border, not fewer. But so on the one hand, you've got this this moment right where you know dr- big things may be in the works, major uh, realignment may be in the works. But then on the other hand, and I'm sorry to say this. I don't think we have any great strategic thinkers or strategery in the Biden administration. I mean, they did not come into office saying, we're going to shake this up, we're going to reinvent this wheel. So the last time we were in a place where our um, relationship with, engagement with, Russia was really in the process of being reinvented. It was because we had elected a president who ran on that, who said, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and I'm explaining this is why it'll work. And we've got these these principles that we believe in. We've got these steadfast allies like Poland and Pope John Paul II and Margaret Thatcher, and we're going to do it with them. And that was Ronald Reagan. So say what you want about Reagan, whether you voted for him or not, but... He ran on this. I mean, this was, we're going to do this. Biden didn't run on this. You've never heard Biden talk intelligently or profoundly about this. He stumbled and bumbled initially. Remember, he said, well, if it was a minor incursion. This is happening not because he's president. This is happening in spite of him being president or regardless of his being president. And that's what worries me right now, is I don't know how this ends, because we're not really, we're reacting, we're not acting. And so they had the vote for the $40 billion additional aid, and we're, you know, I'm sure we'll slap together another aid package any day now. 
We're doing all this stuff ad hoc. You know, we're making it up as we go along. And this just seems like a moment. Tell me what you think. Seems like a moment where you would want an administration of people that have already thought about these possibilities. And we're right now carrying out like a plan. Like, okay, well, when he does this, we're going to do that. And then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. And this will fall into place. And I don't think any of that's happening. I mean, if you think it is, please convince me that this administration is hiding its competency behind this, you know, bleep show of of mistakes and misstatements and stumbles because it's the best disguised strategy I've ever seen if it is a strategy. I don't think it is. 210-599-5555. And then I was even thinking a little further down the road, everybody says, well, China is watching what happens with Ukraine and how we respond and react or don't because it will clue them in as to whether or not they can make their long-awaited move on Taiwan. Now, they're not exactly the same thing. Ukraine has been a country for hundreds and hundreds of years. Taiwan became a country basically 70, 80 years ago when the the, uh, non-communist regime lost the Civil War and fled in exile to Taiwan, what was then called Formosa, and they set up shop there, and people fled. If they didn't want to live under Mao's rule, they fled to Taiwan, and, and now it is a certainly a real country, but it is a fairly new device, right, compared to Ukraine. And it's different in other ways, I think, as well. But my point is, shouldn't we have a plan now for the things we didn't have a plan for with Ukraine so that we won't be rushing emergency aid in, we won't be throwing money in at the last minute, we won't be reacting, we won't be scrambling, we won't have emergency meetings. And this one is completely foreseeable. There is no one who doesn't think that at some point China will grab Taiwan. No one knows when. Some people thought it was it, it would already have happened. But there isn't anybody who doesn't think it will happen, that this isn't their ambition. In fact, it has to happen because they've written the check. They have to cash it. They can't go back. They can't, they can't change their mind. They've told their own people, we're, we're going to do this. And they've told their own people, that is China. And we're going to end this nonsense once and for all. So there's no way to save face other than invading and recapturing Taiwan. So knowing that that's going to happen, and knowing we've committed to the defense of Taiwan, is there? A, are we doing any? Are we are we training? Are we equipping? Are we pre, you know, pre-locating? I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I realize in our military they simulate, they train. Obviously there's there's a great relationship with the Taiwanese military, but I'm just saying at the political level, not the, not the professionals, I, I respect that they have thought about this, they know way more about it than I do. I'm just some guy on the radio. But at the political level, I don't get the feeling that the people in charge right now are are strategic thinkers that they have like a vision 
Like, what's the right thing? Like Reagan's vision was communism's wrong, and we shouldn't coexist with it. We need to end it. And that's a vision. This is more like, uh, well, we'll see what happens tomorrow, and if it requires money, we'll throw some money, and if they need blankets, we'll send some blankets, and if he does this, we'll give a speech at the U.N., but it's, it's all sort of making it up as we go along. And when your opponent knows that, I think it gives them a great advantage. And this is part of a bigger problem we have, which is we elect presidents now because we like them or we think they'd be nice to have a beer with or they seem like good, pe- nice people, but we don't, we don't demand that they have a foreign policy. It's a crazy time because rock stars have foreign policies. Movie stars have foreign policies. You know, why is it that, <laughs> does, it, does it not seem weird to you that they give foreign policy speeches at award shows but we don't make sure the people we put in the job of president have a foreign policy, know what they would do. We don't make them tell us. And it's really one of the few things that a president has absolute control over. The foreign policy of the United States is is up to the president. Most of what he does, he does not have to consult with anybody to do. It's by design. So... So we're either at a moment where things could get a lot better or things could get a lot worse. And to me, it just feels like we're reacting, not acting. And, um, and that's because, I think that's because their, their goals, their interests are in other areas. This is not of, of interest to them or importance to them. But it's chosen them. This moment has chosen Biden whether he was ready for it or not. Get the feeling that disrupted or disruption seems to be the default state of affairs these days. Like, you know, I, I, I always hated when people talked about the new normal. Like, no, I want normal. But we are um, we are just, like, reeling from pandemic to chip crisis to war in ukraine to supply chain um it's not the most fascinating subject but i read today that approximately 20 percent there's about ten thousand container ships in the world okay about 20 percent of them are sitting in traffic jams outside of the busiest ports of call in the world. And most of that backlog is due to China. China is having a virulent Omicron wave of COVID that has uh, shut them down. Major cities locked down for weeks. And um, it means the container ships are just backing up, backing up, backing up. That's one problem. Then this article was saying the next problem will be when those cities and factories and what have you reopen, we'll have a new problem. We'll have a wave of pent-up supply. And um, that's going to make its own trouble, so to speak. And... um, 
I was thinking as I and I won't go into all the details. I was reading this this little piece, and I was thinking this is what we elect presidents, congresses to deal with. I don't mean solve, but deal with. Think about all the nonsense, all the BS, virtue-signaling, woke baloney they are into. This is where the rubber meets the road. Whatever it is you need and can't get for your business, for your home, for your baby, this is why. These people are talking all around the problems, but not dealing with them directly. And i got to be honest, it's not just the, the Democrats. We have a lot of politicians in both parties that are very easily distracted by personal disputes, and feuds, and slap fights, and Twitter, you know, back and forth on Twitter, and... I just, you know, I, 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 we all got to have some fun. We all got to have our hobbies. But this is the stuff that matters, you know? And um, I like the idea of the grown-ups are back in charge, but the, that, did, that isn't what happened. I'm not sure who the grown-ups are or where they are, but they're not in charge. And I can tell you this, the person or people who convince the American voter that they are a grown-up, that they get this stuff, and there'll be no more nonsense, and we're, we're going to figure it out, we're going to get to the bottom of it, we're going to get ships into port, we're going to get them unpacked, we're going to get trucks rolling. Whoever does that, we will shower them with votes. And you better hope that they're otherwise good people. Because they could be a demagogue, they could be a maniac, they could be corrupt, they could be they could be the worst the worst person history's ever produced. But the person that shows they really get this stuff, the person that says I can put baby formula back on the shelf, because that's absurd. Okay, I, I've had a lot of people write to me, by the way, and go, you should tell your listeners that you can make baby formula at home. That's not the point. Okay. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. That's not the point. The point is this isn't this shouldn't be a problem. This should not be a problem. Part of the reason we have all these hiccups and kinks is because the, the people we've elected, the people that asked for the most important and responsible jobs are people that are foolish, frivolous. They have virtues to signal but not Answers to real questions. So, whoever comes forward says, I'm the one that can do it. We're going to shower that person with votes. Every race, every age group, gender. I wonder who it'll be. Lavernia ISD is arming some teachers. It's called the Texas Guardian Program, and they've voted to join it. The school board has voted to join it. It was a unanimous vote. So the, the Guardian program, and there's programs like this in other states, but I believe the one here, uh, teachers volunteer. 
they um, they get interviewed, they get accepted into the program, they go through training. It isn't just firearms training; it's crisis and negotiation and how to manage a hostage situation. And then there's very strict rules about the guns, the district issues, the uh, ammo. The, the ammo has to be unchambered and separated, and it's not like you know Yosemite Sam is now the social studies teacher. You know, so these are these are people that are already teachers, already in the classroom, but they have a extra capability if the worst thing happens. And in a way, it's not all that different from teachers that perhaps are trained to use the defibrillator or an EpiPen or, uh, you know, every school has an evacuation plan, right? And if there's a wheelchair-bound student, somebody at that school has agreed to be the, the man or woman that will get that kid down the stairs and out of the school in the event of, of a fire or an evacuation. So my, my point is, this is just one more variation or extension of what teachers already do that we don't even know about or think about, which is there, there's an, an over and above in the event of a crisis. If you don't have a program like this, what you're saying is the only gun at the school will be the gun in the hands of the school shooter. And it just doesn't seem like a very, I don't know, it seems like a, it seems like a, a needless gamble to take. But when people have argued about this issue over the years, one of the things they've said is that it seems out of bounds for teachers to have guns. It seems un or inappropriate. Like, well, that's so not what they're there for. That's so not what people get into the profession for, they say, right? And I was thinking today, well, can you really make that argument anymore when teachers today are shaping the gender identity of students. When teachers are um, counseling on gender fluidity and pronouns, if teachers are doing that, and, and we can say, I think, with certainty, they're not trained to do it, they've taken it on themselves to do it, then I think tr- a, a trained, screened, teacher experienced with a firearm, I I, I think we can handle that. What do you think? 210-599-5555. And I mean, I'm I'm in favor of it anyway. I I just had to point out that it's going to be hard to make the they're not qualified argument anymore. And I was thinking too today, you, you may know this about me, I'm from Massachusetts originally, I've spent the last half of my life here in Texas, but I'm originally from up north. I can tell you that Where I come from, if you said, let's arm the teachers, they would throw a net over you. I mean, that, that is the, that's the furthest thing from their minds. So one of the great things about our country is we, we should be able to come up with local solutions that make sense to a community that work for that community. And where I come from, this would not work. Arming the teachers, they don't want to do it. I get it. Maybe in a rural, part of New Hampshire or Vermont or something, but for the most part, no. Up there, no, no way. But down here, I, I, I think it does make sense. I think it makes sense to people when they hear it. I think it makes sense to people in terms of knowing that there are teachers that can handle this and do this and will be 
We'll be fine with it. We'll be careful with it. What do you think? 210-599-5555. And, you know, if you're a teacher and you are uncomfortable or horrified by this, well, then you're not a candidate for the Texas Guardians program. So you don't have to worry. Won't be, it won't be you. 210-599-5555. So the um, protesters are outside the homes of the Supreme Court justices. Still no federal law enforcement about this. The governors of Virginia and Maryland have said they will or are willing to uh, protect those homes and those families. But crickets from the Biden administration and Attorney General Merrick Garland, even though it is a violation of the U.S. Code that protesters would be out there uh, trying to influence or intimidate an officer of the court. Uh, you get the feeling, by the way, that um, it's not they don't know, it's that they have decided, the Biden administration and Merrick Garland have decided that the only people who will be offended by their inaction are people that who will never vote for them anyway. So they seem to think that their base, their voters, are giggling, are gleeful about protests and threats against Supreme Court justices. I don't know if that's true. There was even a professor of law at Georgetown, Josh Chaffetz, who this week went on Twitter and was uh, uh, defending the protests at the justices' homes. He said, um, mob action is permissible when the mob is right. When the mob is right. And um, I, I guess you can take a lot of different approaches to this. You can say, I want them arrested. You can say, I want them dispersed. You can say, I, I believe they have free speech, but they need to be kept back from the homes of these justices and their families. But when you start saying the mob is right, every mob is right in the mind of that mob. That's what makes a mob. There's something about a group of people that has fused itself together emotionally. It may be a lot of different people, but it's like one brain. It becomes a hive, right? It becomes groupthink. And if you've ever been in a crowd that was emotional and agitated, whether it was a sporting event or a political event or whatever, a protest, you know what I'm talking about, right? There comes a moment where the uh, sum of you know the sum of the of the thing is greater than the parts it takes on a, a an action it takes on a impetus of its own that's why mobs are dangerous free speech is not dangerous protest is not dangerous but mob rule mob action can be dangerous So the, the calculation is the only people that are bothered by this, the only people that think this is not how America should work, oh, well, those are just ultra-maga weirdos that, you know, they, 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 they didn't vote for us. Really? really? Everybody who voted for you 
and you tell me that's 81 million people, they're all okay with this? I don't think so. Heck, I don't even think everybody who says they're pro-life, I'm sorry, pro-choice, I don't think everybody who says they're pro-choice is saying the same thing. Do you? Oh, yes, I'm pro-choice on abortion. I don't. That doesn't always mean the same thing. That doesn't always mean abortion through the nine months, right up until the birth. That doesn't always mean no exceptions. It doesn't always mean that. But that's what they think it means in this case. And then the Democrats held a vote. They said, well, we're going to codify Roe v. Wade. We're going to make it the law so that the Supreme Court, which can only rule on the constitutional question, will moot that decision. And they went to the Senate, and the Senate is 50-50, and there were no Republicans who said, we're going to vote for this bill. So already there were 50 no votes, and there was one Democrat, Joe Manchin, who had already said, I'm going to vote no on this bill. I don't agree with this and my party. So they lost 49 to 51. Afterwards, Liz Warren came out and said, boy, I I like democracy, but I don't think minorities should be able to block things that the majority wants to do. Which is actually kind of a weird thing to say because at various times in our history, the majority has wanted to keep black people from voting. Or women. (laughs) Was she okay with that? Majority wanted it. Most people wanted it. Was that okay? But she doesn't even have the math right because the vote was 49, yes, 51, no. The majority won. You're in the minority. Senator Warren, you're... How is that not democracy? You were in the minority. The minority did not get what it wanted. The majority did. But there's an even bigger problem with having this vote. And I'm going to say this even though I'm pro-life and I don't want abortion codified, but if if you believe that the Democrats are fighting for woman's, a woman's right to get an abortion and that they have always, their greatest nightmare has always been the overturning of Roe v. Wade. They have had 49 years to do what they tried to do this week, even though this week the math clearly indicated it could not be done. But over those 49 years, there were many times it could have been done. There were many times they had a supermajority in the Senate, in the House, a Democratic president. The stars were aligned many times from 1973 to today. Ask yourself why they waited to the one time when they weren't going to get it done to have their big vote. Why now? Oh, well, Jack, because the the leak of that Supreme Court opinion. Yeah, but they've told you for 49 years it might be overturned, our greatest fear. We defend women. We're fighting for women. We're fighting for abortion. We're fighting for reproductive health which is the new name for abortion. We don't call it abortion anymore because we don't like the connotation of that. It's reproductive health. Okay, wh- where were you before? I mean, this is just legislative 101. You, d- you, you hold the vote when you have the votes. So they're phonies. They're not defenders of women. This is just a wedge issue. 
they're getting pasted in the midterms, and they think maybe this will save them. And the only thing dumber than that is if you fall for it. I'm sorry to say it that way, but that's the truth. While we're, uh, while we're puncturing phonies and calling out hypocrisy, a uh, great point made by Jason Riley in the Wall Street Journal uh, headlined, Why won't the left talk about racial disparities when it comes to abortion? Racial disparities. Now, racial disparities are all the rage right now, okay? Racial disparities explain everything. We have to note and and deal with them in standardized testing and college admissions and arrest and incarceration rates. Racial disparities have transformed policing. Racial disparities are behind the wokeism in corporate America, sometimes called anti-racism. However, as he points out, there seems to be no interest in the racial disparities when it comes to abortion. And here they are. The black abortion rate is four times higher than the white rate. And in recent years, both rates declined, but the white rate declined more. So the disparity grew, became greater. Justice Thomas wrote in a 2019 abortion case that there are areas in New York City in which black children are more likely to be aborted than they are to be born alive. In some, they are up to eight times more likely to be aborted than white children in the same area. Now, you can say, well, Jack, that's none of your business. That's between a woman and her doctor and her body and God. But my point is, the people that tell us Numbers matter, racial disparity matters, you would think would be electrified by this, would be horrified by this. If this was anything else, it would have to be dealt with. We would have to have a national conversation about it right the hell now. If you're offended that police stop black motorists more often, How are you not offended that we're killing more black babies? I'm sorry, but you can't have it both ways. If we're counting things by race, this counts too. Why is it happening? Why is it happening? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons and a lot of different factors. But if we're going to talk, if we're going to say race matters, if we're going to say we need to grapple with our past, and I'm okay with that, then it matters here too. And it's interesting to me that the political party that says it is the defender of and the guardians of African Americans are uninterested in this. I mean, I'm bringing it up. They should be bringing it up, right? Why am I talking about it? But it goes to what we were talking about the other day. Um, they have come to think of the black vote as um, an object. So there's not X number of black voters or millions of there There's the black vote. If you're not for me, you ain't black, said Joe Biden. The black community is not made up of individuals with opinions and desires and different values. It's a block. And that block 
is a prop. I'm sorry, but that's how they treat it. They use it as a weapon. They swing it like a club or a stick. So when they're not getting their way or they're losing an argument, they bring it up, right? They'll put you all in chains, Biden said. They want to put you back, uh, you know, 50 years, 100 years. They want to put you back on the plantation. They don't want you to vote. They don't want you to go to school. We even heard it about Elon Musk and Twitter when they couldn't stop him any other way. They, At the 11th hour, they played the card that Elon Musk would hurt the black community because he grew up in South Africa. He hasn't done anything in his life that would indicate any animus toward or some sort of evil scheme against black people. But maybe this will work. We'll bring this up. It'll be the end of, uh, you know, black voices. It'll be the rise of white supremacy. They tried to find little anecdotes and stories about his childhood in South Africa. Now, he's been a public figure for a long time. If, if there were interesting stories to tell... Why haven't they been told before? Why, why didn't we hear about him with SpaceX or Tesla? Why now? Well, because we need him now. <laughs> and remember how often, back when cancel culture was really riding high, not that it's over, but remember how often they would pick and choose people who had once used the N-word while completely forgiving their own allies who had done the same thing. Or blackface is wrong when this person did it, but just a joke when that person did it. So whether it's canceling people, whether it's reversing the tide of a battle they're losing, whether it's voting itself, I mean, they can't make the argument that they're making the lives of black people freer or more prosperous. They can't make that argument. But they'll still try to make the argument that, well, if you if you throw us out, your lives will be terrible. These people are the worst. It's an old story. And it's a distraction. And maybe it's just worth thinking about the next time you hear them doing it you see them playing this card just just remember there is a glaring set of statistics about abortion i mean stunning that they never bring up it's the only racial disparity they don't want to talk about i wonder why KTSA News Time is 6.38. Sandy writes to Jack at KTSA.com. We mow anytime from 9 to 5. The Dolly Parton way, Sandy writes. This allows anyone at home to sleep later. 
Or if workers have a day off during the week, enjoy breakfast. It also allows for late sleeping on weekends too. So nine to five. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even think of a cutoff time. I mean, can't you cut your grass as long as it's still light out? I mean, is there, is there a time it's too late also? I hadn't thought of that. Pretty sure I've done it right up until dark in the summertime. Is that not okay? So I had said at the start of the show, we'd asked this question. I had said, uh, Mike sort of, and it's not like a rule, but I mean, if I have the, uh, if I'm going to do it in the morning, I generally will wait until 8 o'clock. I, I pretty much have to wait till after 8 o'clock with my schedule right now. And um, Don, our producer, said, well, I think 9. Dennis said 10. And um, now we're just kind of wondering. Or no, I guess one of our, one of our callers said 10. Dennis said 9. Uh, so what would you say? What is the, what's the earliest you can fire up a gas-powered mower, weed whacker, blower? That's, you know, that it isn't, it isn't impolite to your neighbors. You know, when's the earliest you can start, you know, doing the lawn, doing the grass? 210-599-5555. I, I mean, obviously there's exceptions, like if you know your neighbor works nights or has a, colicky baby or something like that. But I'm just saying generally. What's the general okay time to start that? And is there a time that it's you got to stop? Wouldn't it be until dark, whenever dark is? Um, we were talking about uh, arming the teachers. There was the uh, question on the JR poll because Lavernia has decided to do that. And Lloyd writes to Jack at KTSA.com, There are many school districts in Texas that already have this policy, and some have a sign at the entrance to the school that advises visitors of this fact. You know, the sign might be the best part of the program. I mean, the sign is almost half of it right there because you're you're trying to say, look, if you come onto this campus with a gun, you won't be the only one, and you don't know who else will have one. You don't know if it'll be the first person you encounter. So, I, I I think we can do it. I think it has to be up to the individuals involved. It should only be people that want to do it and are motivated to do it. And I, and I think there actually are going to be people who feel that way. I don't think that's a I don't think that's like a unicorn thing. Oh, you'll never find a teacher that want. No, that's not true. R- remember too that if you're a teacher, you're in a culture that tends to favor liberal, capital D, democratic, uh, you know, expression. So if you're a NRA member, gun-owning, you know, teacher, you probably have kept that a little bit on the QT. So you may not know that some of your colleagues own weapons, are comfortable with weapons. Uh, would be would be proud and honored to help defend the campus if the worst thing happened. You're not going to know because you're in a culture that that tells people like that to keep it under their hat. You know, don't say anything because you're surrounded by people that are you know woke. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Here's a school district in 
Rhode Island, Barrington, Rhode Island, that has a great reputation, apparently, in the state. It's considered one of the best public school districts in the state. People move there and pay higher taxes there because they believe the schools are better. Now they're furious because the school has announced in the name of equity that they're no longer going to have honors classes and gifted and talented programs. And people spoke out at a recent meeting. I want to play you some of the comments they got. This is just sort of a a sampler or a montage of some of the things that were said when they were going to remove honors classes in Barrington, Rhode Island. Cut number one. Listen to this. Despite the words said, the actions taken by the district show that this was clearly not about getting kids the opportunity to do honors level work. The district's reasoning has proven to be false and illegitimate, yet so far deleveling has been rubber stamped by the school committee. I know for a fact thir- over 1,300 flags in opposition to what you implemented last year for my daughter, who's a sophomore, who has lost out on opportunities, which now I'm learning could, ex- could affect merit scholarships for her which I think is appalling. You don't really know what you're doing on this. You guys are doing this for someone like me. My parents came from Mexico. They didn't speak English. I went to school. I started off in kindergarten through probably third grade before my parents could actually read my assignments. You guys have your own idea of what diversity, equity, and inclusion means, and it doesn't take into account an actual person that has been through some of the worst public schools in Chicago, uh, lived in neighborhoods where people are shooting each other, drug dealers and gang members. Like, that's where I lived. That's where I grew up till I was about 12. So how come no one is asking me? I have a lot to share. I've been through school for 20 years. Uh, I'm a dentist. My son, he's six years old. He's a, he's a kindergartner. You know what he says when he wants to, what he wants to be when he grows up? He wants to be a dentist. So... It sounds like he's going to have to take honors classes, right? So I pay all these taxes, which I can afford the taxes. It's no big deal. If you double them, it's fine. It doesn't bother me. But I'm not going to sit through a school district that's not going to give my son a chance mm. to fulfill his dream of following him in his daddy's footsteps. Listen, listen to that last gentleman. Double my taxes, which I can't. <laughs> I should have been a dentist. Please don't double my taxes. But, I mean, he's saying double my taxes. I want my kid to have the best. You know, parents are not going to school board meetings. Interestingly enough, the main impetus for these school board meetings is not lower the taxes, lower the school taxes. It's not, uh, they're not uh, speaking out against bonds. They're not saying stop building new schools. They're saying, make school rigorous, make it challenging, make it academically real. They're demanding excellence. They're demanding that the profession of educating children live up to its highest, uh, you know, standards. If your customer is demanding excellence, Give him excellence. He's even saying he'll pay more for it. There's not many professions that would blow that, but 
It looks like they're blowing. All right, so it's the earliest you can mow your grass. We've been debating that all throughout the day. And Natalie is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Hi, Natalie. Hi, how are you? First of all, I want to say thank you because I do a lot of things outside. I'm an outdoor girl, and I listen to a headset. And a lot of times I, I, listen, I listen to you a lot, and I think about your questions, and I want to answer them and run in the house and call, but I don't. And today, I just wanted to mainly say thank you because you helped me with my chores. Oh. And one of them I do is mowing, and I love to mow. Mm. Mm. And our, we have a covenants in our neighborhood, and it starts at 8. Mm-hmm. And so I like to mow at between 8 and 9 in the morning, but I also like to mow just before sundown. So sometimes it's I, I, I do a little bit of both and break it up. And... Um, and uh, I also wanted to say I think it's very unromantic to share a toothbrush. I think some <laughs> things should be mysterious. <laughs> yeah, really. Have a little mystery. Yeah, now, I'm with you on the 8 o'clock thing, and I'm with you on the sundown thing. I uh, Both of those, to me, are the ideal times. And I, I don't know. I mean, 8 o'clock seems reasonable, you know? You know, I love Bob Webster's show, and I listen to him on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I hit the morning so that I can just kind of put a little bit of water on in the morning because I have discovered that your grass does a whole lot better if you mow in the morning and you water in the morning. Yeah. Just never yeah. water at night because those armadillos, man, they come out, and I hate trapping there them. There you go. <laughs> hey, Natalie, thank you for calling. I'm glad you listened to us. I hope you'll call again sometime, and thank, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, I listen to you a lot, and uh, you are one sharp guy. So, oh, anyway, thank you. And I nice. love the thank morning you. show, too. All I right. Love, we love them, too. Yeah, we love Sean them too. and Trey. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it. Um, that was very kind. Um, I, I I do have a lot of people tell me that they listen to the podcast while they do yard work. So that's, hey, I'm glad I can help. That it's, it, That's the easiest helping I've ever done. <laughs> I didn't break a sweat. So we found out who the guy is, the guy that landed the plane in Florida. His name is Darren Harrison. And Darren Harrison is 39. He's married. He's about to become a dad. He's an interior designer. He works at a company uh, called Sunshine Interior Design. He was the guy on the plane where the pilot became incapacitated. And uh, he radioed the tower, and the tower talked him in to a uh, safe landing. He is not doing interviews with local media, it says here. This is uh, the New York Post. But his, the media have interviewed, they found his family, obviously, every one of his family members. He has a cousin named Matthew who says he can't believe this is his cousin. He says, I'm impressed. I've never known him to be that calm before. Oh, great. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. Um, another uh, relative, his uncle Glenn was kinder. He says his nephew is definitely a very calm person. I know he was probably scared to death, says Uncle Glenn, but it doesn't surprise me him doing what he did. He's good about keeping his cool. He kept his composure, followed directions. In fact, the air traffic controller who um, coached him through the flight and landing told NBC's Today Show that Darren Harrison was the best student he's ever had. He stayed calm. He took instruction. He adjusted. Um, there was a moment when they briefly lost him on the radar. And 
he thought the worst, but everything ended well. And uh, all is well. You know, the only thing I haven't heard, has anybody heard what happened with the pilot? I was curious to know if he was okay. Hopefully he is. We obviously wouldn't want to forget about him. Whatever happened to him, he was unable to continue flying, and this other guy on the plane managed to land the plane safely. So we'll try to find that out. And um, It's kind of interesting. It was interesting to me to hear that Darren Harrison didn't want to do interviews because, again, we live in a time where, you know, Everybody wants their 15 minutes, but maybe he feels like, you know, I. people admire what I did. They're lauding me. What more can I say? What, what could I add to that, right? I don't have to say anything. My actions speak for themselves. The other thing I was thinking without knowing him was people who can do what he did are the kind of people we need. For all the big stuff that we talk about on the air, all the big challenges our country faces, We don't need governors and senators and Congress critters. We need people like this. Hopefully we find them. See you back here tomorrow at 4, The Dish at 6. We'll kick off the weekend.